everyone. Welcome to Coffee with the Queen. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. So today I'm going to share my tips for troubleshooting coffee, and then Cindy will walk us through her latest chilled summer macchiato recipes. As a reminder, everything covered in today's podcast is available as an entry on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com, and available via links in our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. So finding your perfect cup of coffee can be a challenge, even when you only have great options. I mean, once you find that perfect cup of coffee, the taste occasionally goes off for no obvious reasons, which is, comp- is so annoying. Yeah, <laughs> so no today, idea. yeah, it's super annoying and it can ruin your morning. Today, we're going to share everything we've learned about teasing out what I would call the shady spots of coffee <laughs> drinker compatibility. So it's like that fuzzy zone where you like a coffee, but you don't love it because it's lacking that one unidentifiable but vital element. And then we're going to move into coffee troubleshooting because even sometimes the best relationships need a little bit of a reset. Yeah, it goes for coffee for life for everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, coffee probably, my relationship with coffee probably is one of the like top five in my life. So, <laughs> so first up, finding that perfect coffee. So one of the most common questions we field as roasters, and this is actually from very knowledgeable, conscientious drinkers, is how do I get my coffee to have more flavor? Almost always our response involves something to do with aroma or mouthfeel. So we're going to start with aroma. Aroma is critical and often overlooked when you're talking about coffee assessment or coffee tasting. So most of us, even tasters, tend to get our strongest aromatic information from coffee beans or grounds, so coffee when it's in a dry form. Once water hits those grounds, our focus shifts and not necessarily with our nose. Then to further muddle our sensory system, a coffee's aroma changes throughout each stage of its life with unbrewed grounds generally highlighting bright sweet upper notes and brewed coffee generally highlighting deep full base notes you know so even if you're unconscious of it you're smelling that coffee as you put the grounds into your filter or into your brew device and then when you grind it you're smelling it again and that scent or aroma may change from ground to brewed form yeah you know and sometimes you get the aroma you get those uh notes from the ground coffee, and then it doesn't taste the way you think it's going to because of how you smelt it. Yeah. And this confuses people. Yeah, and there can be so many things that go in into that. If you primarily drink a single origin coffee, what I call that that shifting aroma is likely not going to be the the source of your coffee angst because those aromatics tend to be relatively consistent even if the dominant aroma changes between smelling your grounds and brewing your coffee, smelling your brewed coffee. However, if you enjoy a blend, and I think right. this is where what you just brought up, this is where it tends to be a little bit more common, the aroma can be a big source of your angst because it's those lovely upper notes that are really prominent when your coffee is unbrewed. So those bright, sweet, citrus, clean notes are going to diminish when you brew your coffee, especially if your blend includes beans with strong, strong aromatics, Colombian beans, Sumatran beans, or if you're doing a post-roast blend that includes a dark roast. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I've had this. Yes. It's actually very common. And people who pay attention to their coffee tend to bring this up more than people who just kind of like, I want a cup of coffee and you grab your coffee and it's secondary to whatever else you're doing. So along these same lines is another very common question, even though they might seem different when I say it, is why does my coffee taste different in a coffee shop than when I brew it at home, even if I use the same brew method and same brew ratios? So again, this ties to aroma and how we interpret flavor. So when you brew a coffee at home, the coffee that you're brewing is likely the only coffee that's being brewed, and thus it's the dominant coffee aroma around you. But when you're in a coffee shop, multiple coffees are being brewed, Mm. and the most aromatically dominant, usually like a dark roast or an espresso, is going 
to, to just dominate the air. That's what you're going to smell. And so I'm going to call these, just for today's podcast, the aroma bullies. So <laughs> for these, these aroma bullies will permeate the air in trick your olfactory sense into associating that powerful coffee scent with the coffee that you're drinking. In fact, that's not true. <laughs> so Yeah, but um, you know, I just started salivating when you said the aroma of a coffee shop. Yeah, everyone knows that really powerful. It's like walking into the roasting plant. Like you smell, it, it, it's coffee. It's undeniably coffee and it's strong and it's powerful. So generally, we receive these two questions on flavor from medium roast coffee drinkers that really love bright, clean upper notes and use multiple brewing methods. So they're people who might have a drip coffee during the day as well as an espresso or French pressed coffee stovetop espresso coffee. So they're using multiple brew methods. They're really attuned to their coffees. They love acidity. So they love the bright, clean, crisp upper notes. And they possess equally keen olfactory and taste senses. So if this sounds like you, there is a quick test you can do on yourself. To do the test, just brew a bright, gently aromatic medium roast coffee, such as a Guatemalan Antigua. It's a really neutral coffee with lovely upper notes. Sip it, put it down, and then open a bag of dark roasted coffee. It can be any dark roasted coffee. Before you take your second sip of your Guatemala or your medium roasted coffee, smell the dark roasted coffee and then immediately sip and see if that makes the coffee taste better and more flavorful to you. If it does, then you found what I would call your coffee compatibility pain point. Am <laughs> yeah, I, you've identified your coffee bully too. <laughs> yeah, you've identified the coffee bullies. So um, our my recommendation here, our recommendation here would be to let your taste buds lead because you're always going to be happier if you can let your taste buds lead. And if you need that little bit of an aroma boost, you can either keep a bag of unbrewed grounds of a darker roast coffee close by you when you're sipping your coffee, or you can even throw just one or two beans from a darker roasted coffee into your medium roast coffee, and that will actually be enough to boost the aroma and probably oh, give that you... Oh, fabulous idea. That's perfect. Yeah, thank you. It was my mom's, <laughs> but that's, that's her little trick for this one. So if you find yourself loving everything about a coffee, but it's just not quite it's like, oh, it's you know, like 98, 99% there, and it's just not quite right. Uh, it could be that you aren't getting the aroma that you need for your, all of your senses to feel satisfied with that coffee. Right. And your it's coffee it should be a purely, a truly sensory experience. You should activate as many senses as you can. Absolutely. So another common complaint we hear is that people can't get a strong, flavorful cup. So normally after we dig down, this is a problem with mouthfeel. This is going to get confusing for a second. Mouthfeel, coffee strength, and coffee boldness are generally all wrapped up into a single sensation in the way that we interpret coffee when we're drinking it. But they're actually like peas, corns, and carrots. They go together a lot, but they're not linked in any meaningful way. So mouthfeel and boldness are bean attributes, and strength is a brew attribute. Mouthfeel, just to recap quickly, refers to the coffee's body. So that describes how it physically feels in your mouth and on your tongue. And this is often mistaken for coffee's strength. Boldness, which is also often mistaken for coffee's strength, is actually acidity. So it's that tingling, bright, rich sensation you can feel in your tongue. Again, it's a bean attribute, not a brew attribute. And then strength is a brewed coffee's grounds to water ratio. So that is purely controlled by you. The higher the ratio, the more concentrated the extraction, the lower the ratio of grounds to water, the weaker the extraction. So while any coffee can be brewed strong or weak, mouthfeel and acidity or mouthfeel and boldness are bean characteristics and can't be altered by brewing. Right. And people are often trying to adjust the strength when it's really an issue of mouthfeel. 
Yep. And that's what we're going to talk about now. That's oh, okay, a very good. common question. So often people seeking a rich mouthfeel will tend to brew their coffee with a very high grounds to water ratio or grind their beans finer because you get it, the coffee will taste physically heavier right. if you're using a finer grind. And I usually don't recommend that. <laughs> so in the former case, so if you're using a higher grounds to water ratio, the brewed coffee tends to be under extracted and lacking in flavor. In the latter case, if you're using a finer grind that's recommended for your machine, the coffee is often right. going to be overextracted and taste kind of muddy or thick or almost dirty. So in both scenarios, despite having achieved what you, you want in terms of mouthfeel, you're going to be have flavor loss. And it's just not it's not optimal. <laughs> well, right. Your, your grind should definitely be for the type of brewer you're using. And yeah. then you need to find the coffee that gives you the mouthfeel you desire. Yes, exactly. So if this sounds like you, so if you're someone that seeks a great mouthfeel and you enjoy complex coffees or coffees with a wide array of flavor tones and notes, definitely recommend trying a Colombian or a Sumatran. Both coffees have wonderful mouthfeel and just a lot of texture. So I'd also recommend trying them first with or the recommended grind for your brew method and with the standard grounds to water ratio and then tweaking from there to see so you can get the, the right extraction for you and the right strength for you. Right. I'm glad you said that because optimally everybody likes just maybe a slightly different grounds to water ratio. It's just that you don't want to go too far in one direction or the other, but you can yeah. tweak it around the optimal. Yeah. And actually, if you find yourself diverging greatly from what's recommended, I would say you might have the wrong coffee. Like you're yeah. trying to force the coffee to give you something that the coffee just inherently can't. And so if you find yourself really varying from the recommended grind or, or grounds to water ratio, I would, that's one where I'd hit a reset and say, okay, it's time for a new coffee and we're going to go back to, you know, the recommendations and begin our tweaking again. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. While there's an art to, you know, making your perfect cup and finding that perfect balance, anytime in anything in life that you're pushing too hard, it means that maybe you need to back off a step. Yes. Reevaluate how you're trying to solve this problem. This is like the coffee relationship podcast. Yes, yes. I feel like I'm the yield <laughs> right yeah. now. So the last common conundrum we cover today is espresso. So quite often coffee lovers who enjoy bright, complex coffees and espresso struggle to find a coffee that they love as an espresso. So just to recap really quickly, espresso is a coffee drink that can be made using any coffee roasted to any shade. You do not have to use an espresso blend. So most roasters create an espresso blend that best fits the espresso profile of their customer demographic. And that's what most customers will actually buy. So most people who have an espresso machine and go to a store will look for an espresso blend. And most will be satisfied, but it's really important to stress that you are not limited to just that espresso blend. Any coffee can be ground fine and brewed as an espresso. Anybody who has seen any of the drinks I make know this for a fact, because I use every kind of coffee that we have. I have used almost all of them in an espresso. Yeah, espresso is the drink. You know, they have an espresso grind, which is really just a fine grind. And from there, it's anyone's game. Like Literally, the world of coffee is open to you. In America, most espresso blends are dark roasted because that's what Americans tend to look for when they're buying beans to make espresso at home or grounds to make espresso at home. In Europe, however, most espresso blends are medium roasted and dominated by African coffee. So it's actually a totally different coffee. So sometimes I kind of giggle to myself when I see people going into a coffee shop and you know, getting an espresso that's dark roasted and dominated by probably central and Sumatran beans and kind of commenting about how they're in Italy. You know, they have that Italian feel. Because yes, you have it from the cup, but it's actually 
that espresso is not prepared with coffee that's at all similar to what they'd be using in a coffee shop in Italy. Right. Or the other thing, you hear, you hear people say, this is not as good as that espresso that I had in Italy. Right. And so if that's the case, you want to go for a medium roast, for an African medium roast, or a blend that's dominated by medium roast or full city roasted African coffees, and that will probably taste like your Italian your Italian coffee, or it will have a little bit of Robusta a lot of times too yeah, in Italy, and throughout Europe, they'll do an Arabica Robusta mix. Yeah, so. I mean, a lot of t- a lot of times people think they love their European espresso just because they got that little high, they got that little buzz. <laughs> They're remembering that little uh, adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it also will taste different because they tend to be dominated by African beans. Yeah, um, I want to remind people that you can always ask at your coffee shop what's in the espresso blend. So if you know that you get your espresso blend from the local coffee shop and when you get your espresso there, you love it, but it doesn't taste the way it tastes at home, find out what beans they're using. Yeah, um, they should be able to tell you. And if they can't, my recommendation would be to go with a Kenya AA if you like a really um, bold, bright, sweet, sparkling espresso. Or you could even use Central American coffee if you want it toned down a little. And if you like a dark, spicy, bitter espresso, try Sumatra in the Boston area. The most common espresso used in our espresso machines is Sumatra Mandeling. All right, so, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it, does, it makes a, a bitter, spicy espresso that's got almost syrupy mouthfeel. So yeah. personally, I tend to use a Kenyan because I love African coffees. If I'm going to have an espresso, I want it to be sweeter and cleaner and crisper. So I will actually go and brew my own with most often with a Kenya. It's interesting on the stovetop, I like to use Africans and I love the Kenyan specifically. But when I use my um, espresso machine, I actually love Espresso Joe. Our, yeah, Espresso I mean, the Joe queen is beans, great too. Yeah, the Queen Beans Espresso mix I like very much. But I also like to make an espresso with uh, Italian roast. So I'm, you know, a little bit all over the place. Basically, if you can't find the espresso you love and you drink a lot of coffees, it could just be that the espresso blend isn't fitting your flavor profile. So your settings could be correct. The drip time could be correct. The pressure is right. And it really actually may just be that the espresso blend that you're using isn't the best fit for you when preparing an espresso. Now that we've kind of shed some uh, sun on those shady spots of coffee <laughs> compatibility, we're going to move into troubleshooting. So now let's assume that you've got your favorite coffee and we want to make sure that your favorite coffee always tastes like your favorite coffee. We do a lot of troubleshooting at the Queen Bean and at Mills. So we're going to kind of walk you through how we would approach a problem if someone came to us and said their coffee doesn't taste right. So if your coffee tastes bitter or earthy, normally when troubleshooting, we start with coffee freshness. The first thing to do is look at your beans or grounds. So during the roasting process, carbon dioxide develops inside the coffee bean and that CO2 must be released before you drink the coffee or it's just gonna taste awful. So when beans are exposed to air, they lose CO2 and they absorb oxygen. So if your coffee is too fresh, so it's still holding a significant amount of CO2, when you go to brew it, the beans are going to taste very off-tasting. It's going to be grassy and sour, unequally extracted, and really just produce this, I don't know, the way I would describe it would be a very earthy, earthy cup, but not pleasantly earthy, like big, dirty earthy. On the flip side, beans that have lost too much CO2 taste bitter, lack aroma, and frequently crack. So basically, they're stale. I'm with you. Yeah. So if your beans are too fresh or overly degassed. If they're too fresh, just let them rest. If you find that you have beans that are just a little bit grassy, when you go to brew them, grind them the night before. That extra air exposure per per grind is going to give it more time to degas and then brew it in the morning. If the beans are stale, there's nothing really you can do. You've got to just toss them. 
Yeah, it's time to get new beans. Time to get new beans. So, if your beans or grounds are fresh, like you're sure they're fresh, and optimally degassed and still tasting off, the next thing we would typically look at is storage. So coffee is a food product with many extraordinary properties, including this chameleon-like ability to reflect the scent and flavor of anything in its immediate surroundings. So in addition to being air, light, heat, and moisture sensitive, coffee is also highly absorbent. So I'm not even sure what we would say. It's, it's like a odor sensitive. Um, that means that coffee stored in unsealed bags will actually absorb the flavor notes and scent surrounding it. So if you notice that your coffee one morning starts to taste like something that you recently cooked or something that's resting close by to it, like even chocolate cake, if you have chocolate frosting right next to where you have an open thing of coffee, your coffee's <laughs> going to start to smell a little chocolatey in the morning. Some people might like that. They might like that. I know this might be an idea. So odds are, if this is the case and you've ever experienced anything like that or you are experiencing that, this kind of coffee issue, odds are that your coffee is fresh and doing what I would just consider to be its like secondary job or a little side work. It's <laughs> absorbing the odors around it. Thankfully, this is a really easy problem to solve. All you have to do is transfer your coffee, probably not the coffee that's already absorbed odors, but any... In the future. Yeah, in the future. Any coffee that you open, you just want to be sure that it's stored in an airtight container, preferably one that is going to be out of direct sunlight away from heat. Never in the fridge. Never in the fridge and never in the freezer. You don't want to expose coffee to moisture. It will increase the staling process or facilitate the staling process. I have to say that we're doing a lot of coffee personification in this episode. Hmm. We've had coffee side chicks. We've had coffee bullies. I think this might just be what happens with COVID. You start talking to, you know, first it was animals. <laughs> and now my coffee has got real personality. So, yeah. So if your coffee beans are fresh and well stored and still taste off, the next thing to look at is the grind. As we mentioned earlier, grind impacts extraction, which gives coffee its taste. So matching your grind to your brew method is essential to producing a delicious cup of coffee. While there are many ways to think of extraction, on the most basic level, extraction reflects the duration and percentage of your ground's surface area that comes into direct contact with water. So generally, under extraction occurs when grounds are too coarse for their brew method, meaning that the water can't hit enough of the coffee grounds, and over-extraction occurs when grounds are too fine for the brew method, meaning that too much water is hitting the, the coffee grounds. So under-extracted coffee tastes weak and sour or watery, and over-extracted coffee tastes bitter. So if you feel your coffee is either over or under-extracted, I recommend changing your grind setting. Right, if you're again, certain, using, using the right grind for the right machine. Yeah. So if you're certain your grind is correct and your coffee still tastes off, I would look at the actual grounds. So if you're poking through them and you find that they're uneven in size, that's going to be a big problem. As you mentioned earlier, coffee that is extracted from uneven grinds will just taste off and, and uneven. Like you'll actually, it'll just taste different with each sip. For an even cup of coffee, you need even extraction and even extraction requires grounds of similar size. So next up on our troubleshooting checklist is grind to water ratio, which is very similar to extraction. So if your grind is right and your coffee still tastes weak or sour, you may not be using enough water or using too much water to brew. Right. When too little water is to brew, the grounds essentially drown. That over-extraction, that hyper... How do, can we say that like hyper-exposure to water will actually suck out all their sweet and sour notes, leaving them with just this gross, weak, yeah. bittery taste? Yeah, it's like many things you make. Like I'm going to talk about simple syrups a little later. It's the same idea. It's yep. like you have to have the proper amount of coffee to water. Yeah, and, and brewing with too much coffee and not enough water means that you won't get the full flavor out of your grounds because they can't be extracted. So 
So definitely check your grounds to water ratio. This sounds like it's a problem you could be having. Yeah, I mean, and when you're fine tuning, do it like you would anything else, small little steps. Yes, like, yes, definitely. Like if you think you have too little coffee, don't put another two tablespoons in. You need to do it step by step. Yes, yeah, or else you won't be able to really, you could, it's very easy, and I think we've all done this, basically gone from one problem to the next, because I am a big overcorrector, so to save yourself a lot of time and aggravation, definitely take it step by step. Yeah, it might seem like a, you know, a simple thing to say, but sometimes the simplest solution, you know, it's the best, it's easiest. Yeah, that is very much true. Continuing on this water theme discussion, let's turn our troubleshooting efforts now to your actual water being used to brew. So coffee is 99% water and any impurities in your water are going to present and actually probably be magnified in your coffee. So if you drink bottled water at home and you brew with tap water and your coffee tastes minerally or off or like metallic-y, try brewing with bottled water. All Mills customers and, and at Mills, we always use water filters in right. our brewers. We, we always brew with filtered water. Using filtered water to brew really just ensure that you're getting the truest coffee flavor without any additives or impurities that could be tracing in through the water. The next thing that can be tricky with water is the water temperature. If the water temperature you're using to brew is too hot or too cold, your coffee won't extract properly. Optimal brewing temperature for coffee is between 195 and 205 degrees Fahrenheit. Any water that's added to your coffee that's over 205 degrees Fahrenheit is actually going to burn your coffee and destroy the volatile um, oils and gentle flavor notes that can be really pleasing. If you use water to brew that's below 195 degrees Fahrenheit, the coffee won't extract properly and will taste bitter and sour. So water temperature and water quality are key to getting a great cup of coffee. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things on your espresso maker, why you always have to calibrate it. Yeah. Drip machines also often allow you to set your own, well, they don't let you set the brew temperature, but usually within the recommended range. So if you enjoy a sweeter cup, you can move your brew setting down closer to 195. So anything that brews at 195 is typically going to be sweet. You'll have all those upper notes really shining through. If you prefer a slightly bitter cup, you can often move your coffee setting up to 205, that will be a very bitter cup. So the lower you go in, within this range, the sweeter the cup, the higher you go, the more bitter. So if you tested the grounds, the water, the temperature, and it's all correct. The next thing to look at, this might seem odd to many of you, but the last thing we typically look at, because it's the least common problem, is the equipment. After you look at your equipment, if your equipment is fine, then we would look at how you're storing your coffee post-brew and then what you're adding to your coffee. So starting off with equipment, brewers, unlike many other kitchen appliances today, don't let you know when they're struggling or when they have a problem. There aren't any beeps, there aren't auto shutoffs, there's nothing to tell you that the water heater is failing or the filter's clogged. So you really have to rely on your taste buds. These are rare problems, but if you have a highly used machine or an older machine, you could run into them. The first step to troubleshooting a brewer problem or an equipment problem is just to clean the machine. Strip brewers, French presses, and espresso machines, they all need to be cleaned to remove any coffee residue or trace minerals that get left either on the, the bowl or within the mechanics. If you're confident your machine is clean or you're not sure, the easiest way to test it is just to brew what I would call a dry run. So just put water in the machine with no coffee. If the result is clear water, your machine is clean. If you right. get a whole bunch of brown, dirty water, your machine is dirty. At our machines, we actually do a dry run once a week just to let the water pull out any grounds or anything that may be stuck. And that's often enough to keep a machine healthy and clean. 
Yeah. The drip machine that I have at home, it lights up when it thinks it needs to be clean. Oh. But when the light comes on, I actually do what you're calling a dry run. And if it comes out clean, I wait to clean it. Yeah. And that's what I would recommend most people do because often it's very little residue. Like coffee doesn't have a lot of gross stuff in it. So uh, it's it's 99% water. So if you just run water through your machine and nothing else once a week, that's or once a month, depending how often you use your coffee machine, that's generally enough to keep it clean throughout its lifetime. I agree. If you try that test, doesn't work, you can refer to your user manual for your brew method to see how they recommend cleaning it, a French press or a pour over. You can generally just go in the dishwasher, be cleaned with soap and water. Any machine, I would look at the manufacturer's recommended cleaning technique. If you do that, it still doesn't work. It's probably actually just time for a new machine. Yep. Sorry, that's the sad news. Yeah, the sad news. It's um, actually sad when you really love your machine. You know, you grow, I grow, like it's almost like a bond. Like I yeah. get to love even my drip machine. Like I get used to it. I like the way it works. I know the cup of coffee I'm getting. And when it's time to replace it, it's like, I don't know. Yes, no, I totally know that. I get very attached to my machines. And I just don't like to necessarily learn anything. Well, I use a pour over though, mostly. So, and I still get attached to my pour over. I'm very attached to my four cup pour over. Yeah. I like my pour. I have a little pour over you gave me actually, and I love it. I like my little pour over, yes. Yeah, the little Sometimes one. Sometimes we make two little pour overs because I find them easier to hold, so I, I like it. It's like my personal pot. Going back to, to troubleshooting, so assuming your we grounds just, or equipment. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we just personified our pour overs now. So. Yeah, it's, it's COVID. <laughs> Time so to get out. If everything is good and your equipment's good, then we start looking at how you're storing your coffee. So coffee stales approximately 20 minutes after brewing. So the moment that coffee is brewed, it begins to stale, which is really a shame. And within 20 minutes, it stales. So if you brew your coffee, you go to leisurely pace to sip it. Or if you brew coffee and you're waiting for people to come to the table or, you know, there's a lag basically between brewing and serving the coffee. There's a good chance that your coffee's staling if it's not stored in a thermal pot or container. So again, quick solution to this, if you know that you're going to brew your coffee and there's going to be possibly 20 minutes or more between brewing and consuming the coffee, I strongly recommend just putting it into a thermal pot as quickly as possible or brewing directly into a thermal pot and that will really preserve the life of your coffee and the taste. The very final troubleshooting element we're going to look at is add-ins. And this is something that people, including myself, often forget. Coffee has thousands of flavor notes that react with any other flavor note that's in your mouth or in your cup. So if you're eating something that conflicts with your coffee, your coffee will taste sour. If you add something to your coffee, like cinnamon or you know sugar, milk, they're all going to change the the taste of your coffee, and sometimes they're even taste changing the the actual chemistry, like the chemical composition of your coffee. So if you add dairy to your coffee. Full-fat dairy is going to taste very different than non-fat or low-fat dairy. So full-fat dairy adds creamy, almost nutty flavor to your coffee. It also adds a lot of fat and will keep the coffee warmer. Low-fat or dairy-free add-ins or um, dairy substitutes are going to probably be a little bit watery. Some of them have flavors. Some of them will cool the coffee down. So they're they're really going to change the nature of your cup. Same thing goes for sugar, spices, anything that you could be putting in your coffee. Right. And then it also changes if it sits. So it goes back yeah. to how long your coffee is going to sit. Yeah. So if you like a coffee in one place and or you like a coffee in a coffee shop, you purchase the coffee, you bring it home and you add some sugar to the coffee or you add, uh, you know, say like in the coffee shop, you used white sugar at home, you used brown sugar. Right. That's actually going to change the taste of your coffee. And it could be that whatever you're putting into your cup is just 
is just contrasting or conflicting with the inherent tones of the coffee. The quickest way to sell that is to try the coffee black or try adding different things to it and see how it tastes. Yeah, absolutely. So, and for all of you still listening, thank you for making it to the end. <laughs> this pretty much covers everything I know about coffee, what I would call coffee compatibility, and then uh, coffee troubleshooting. Now, Cindy is going to move into something probably a little bit more tasty with her summer macchiatos. Thank you, Nicole. So, I'm a huge fan of chilled coffee. You are too, right, Nicole? Actually, well, it depends. I like cool coffee. I like Japanese ice brewed coffee. Coffee that's actually iced or cold I, I like it differently I drink black coffee hot and once you get into iced coffee territory I want it to be like a dessert treat <laughs> so well, then you're gonna love what I'm talking about I will today. yeah so I would drink that yes yeah. so I'm, I'm like funny I, I wouldn't if you gave me an iced coffee you know at the beach or something I'd be like yeah I want my hot coffee unless you gave it to me and it felt like a special dessert treat and then I'd be all over it what's well, interesting like when I have an iced coffee it's the only time I put milk in it yeah me too I and when drink. I have an iced coffee, I also like it when it's made with coffee ice cubes because once it gets watery, I'm out. Yeah. But iced coffees gives me a great opportunity to experiment with flavor and specialty drinks, which we know I love to do. So today's experiment involves combining coffee with fruit. And these are two incredible summertime treats, and they go remarkably well together. And I know a lot of you don't think about fruit and coffee together, but they work really, really they well. They do. So I'm going to talk about uh, macchiato-style drinks. So typically a macchiato is constructed by filling your glass with about two-thirds of ice. Then you add about two teaspoons of a flavored syrup. So everybody knows caramel macchiato, and I talked about it last time. So that would have been vanilla syrup. But it's essentially it's the same recipe for every kind of macchiato with a few just variations. So typically a chilled macchiato is constructed by filling your glass two-thirds of the way with ice then adding about two teaspoons of flavored syrup, followed by milk, about eight ounces if you have a typical size glass. And then what you do is you spot a dopio or two ounces of espresso on top of the milk. So then many people top the drink with extra sweetener like chocolate sauce or caramel sauce or whipped cream or more flavored syrup or combining all of those things together. And you can enjoy your macchiato layered because the coffee usually settles on top of the milk. Or you can blend it by mixing it with a spoon or shaking it. So that's a typical macchiato. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about those flavored syrups I mentioned. While there are many delicious prepared syrups, and you're welcome to buy them at your market or your specialty coffee market, you guys know I'm a big fan of making your own flavored simple syrups. And the reason I like to make them myself is because you can adjust the proportions to make the exact syrup that's going to make you the happiest. And the whole process takes about 15 minutes from start to finish. So the basics of making a simple syrup is to combine equal parts water, sugar, and flavor. So today's flavor are fruits, and I used bananas, strawberries, and blueberries. So I made three separate simple syrups. Nice. So what you do is you put the water and the sugar in a saucepan and you stir it until the liquid is clear under a low heat. Then you chop up the fruit, you put the fruit in the pan and you bring it to a, a slow boil. That's a, that's a low boil, not like a high boil where it's like bubbling up to the top. <laughs> so it's a low boil. Once it comes to that boil, you reduce the heat a little bit and you allow it to simmer for up to 15 minutes, just stirring it. So I say up to 15 minutes because different fruits will come to the thickness that you want at different points. So it's really imperative that you keep an eye on your syrup as it thickens. 
For example, for these three syrups, I left the strawberry on the flame for the longest and the blueberry for the shortest time period. But it was all within 15 minutes. And as I said earlier, the best thing about making your own syrup is that you can adjust as you go. If you prefer a thinner syrup, you can add more water. If you prefer a sweeter syrup, you can add more sugar. And if you want a thicker syrup, you can even throw in a bit of cornstarch. As long as you keep stirring it, that'll thicken up the syrup. So we now have our syrups, and all that is left to do is to create our lovely macchiato-style drinks. For the banana, I decided to add caramel and chocolate and a pinch of salt. So what I did was I filled my glass with ice. I added two teaspoons of my homemade banana syrup. I poured the milk on. I spotted the drink with the espresso, and then I drizzled chocolate sauce and caramel sauce across the top. And at the end, I sprinkled a little salt on it because salted caramel is just a wonderful flavor combination. Yeah, that sounds a little bit like um, like almost like a drink version of a coffee ice cream banana split. Well, absolutely. I mean, and also like everybody's enjoying salted caramel um, gelato. Yep. So I see nothing wrong with putting a scoop of ice cream in this also if you wanted to. I never see anything wrong with putting a scoop of ice cream in most things. Yeah, you know, ice cream is my hugest weakness. So yes, I'm totally about that. So I'm going to move on and tell you about the strawberry drink I made next. So the strawberry procedure was really similar to the banana, but I'm calling this one the chocolate-covered strawberry macchiato. So I followed that same thing as I did with the banana. I put the ice in, two teaspoons of strawberry syrup, and the strawberry syrup this time was to die for. After I filled the glass with milk and I put my espresso in, I topped it with dark chocolate sauce, and then I drizzled a little extra strawberry syrup on the top. And for this one, I left the salt out because it's chocolate-covered strawberries and it's delicious just on its own. So the last drink I'm going to take you through today, I'm calling a blueberry crush. Uh, This one was a little bit different, as I didn't use ice at all. What I did was I chilled the milk even colder than usual. I actually, till it was, I would say, it wasn't frozen, but it was definitely the coldest milk that I've ever uh, drunk myself. So how I prepared this was by combining two teaspoons of blueberry syrup on the bottom of my glass. And then I used about four ounces, half of my milk, and I stirred it. So I made blueberry milk. Then I did a cold froth on the remaining milk. So I just used my hand frother and I frothed it really, really fast. And I scooped the foam out and I put it on top of the blueberry milk. Next, I added the espresso. And what this did because of the the three different textures was it made a three-layered drink. So it was truly beautiful to look at. After I added the espresso, I topped the entire creation with a layer of whipped cream. I put crushed blueberries on top, and then I put a little more whipped cream over it, and then I drizzled blueberry syrup on the top. So this one, it really looked like it was made in a coffee house, but not – who cares what it looked like? Honestly, it was just so delicious. This blueberry crush was absolutely my favorite macchiato-style drink of the day. So before I go today, I'm just going to give out a couple of our queen bean pro tips. Uh, If you don't have espresso – You can use some strong coffee instead. Just double the proportions of the coffee and reduce the volume from your milk. So you end up with the same size glass. You just put a little more coffee in. Yep. So again, this uh, goes back to extraction. So basically what she's doing is balancing out the extraction post-brew. Right. 
And so if you want to increase the flavor punch of your beverage, you can use a flavored coffee for any of these drinks. For the chocolate-covered strawberry, you could use chocolate-covered strawberry coffee. Yes. For the blueberry, you could use blueberry coffee cake coffee. And for the banana, you could use Funky Monkey coffee. These are all coffees that the Queen Bean sells. But if you have another favorite flavored coffee, I mean, I'm not going to tell you to use it. You should try the Queen Beans because, in my opinion, they're the best flavored hey, we, coffee. We have the best flavored coffees. And we know a lot of you out there, we found this during COVID. It's okay to like flavored coffees. We've yes. seen such a big spike. I feel like we had a lot of closet flavored coffee drinkers out there. I can assure you that you are in very good company. Come out of the closet. <laughs> There's lots of you. You can have your French vanilla with pride. Yeah, um, yeah. Do it, baby. You got one life. You got to show your love. And I have one last thing to throw in. And that's that there may or there may not have been a shot of vodka in the banana drink in the picture that you're going to see on the blog. I'm not going to say yes or no. All I'm going to say is that it was delicious. And with, with that, the vodka gonna... or without the vodka? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say whether or not the vodka was there. All I'm going to say is I really, really liked it. <laughs> so I think that we can infer there was vodka in there. So, you, so, so that can be a child's cocktail, you know, like your teenager's fun drink or your the adult party poolside drink. So yeah, the, these could all be either mock or cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should end it there before we get too much more into our personification. Um, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't even so going there. Yeah, yeah, but yes, okay. So those are my three fruity macchiatos for the summer. And as always, guys, if you should try one, take a picture, send it to us. Tell us if you change the recipe slightly. We love to get your tips, your feedback, and to hear from you in any way possible. And the recipes for these will be on the blog, and there will be links to them on the podcast site. And with that, I'm going to pass the mic back to Nicole before I get in trouble. Thanks, Cindy. Those all sound delicious. So for any of you who do try any of these and enjoy flavored coffees, we have a new coffee coming for the month of July called Berry American Pie, which is going to be, we're trying to get red, white, and blue in there for Independence Day. So it's going to be a mix of blueberry, strawberry, and a sweet butter, like vanilla buttercream. So That's it's actually going to taste like a berry, berry pie, <laughs> but it sounds like it could go well with any of the three macchiatos you just mentioned. Absolutely. I can't wait. I'm going to have to come up with a very, very happy, drunken coffee. <laughs> very American. I think by the time you get to the third word there, it's you're going to sound drunk, so it'll be pretty easy. Um, <laughs> so thank you for listening. And before we close this out, I just want to announce a new format that we'll be moving into in the autumn. We're going to pilot it. So this will be our last podcast for this series, we're going to, Cindy and I are going to go on a small summer break, kind of regroup, and we have a surprise coming out for you in September, but it's going to be a little bit more themed, so you won't hear from us for two months, but then you're going to hear from us a lot. You might hear, we might have a few little spill the beans in there over the next two months, but... Yeah, I got some beans to spill, Nicole. There'll be, yeah, there'll be a lot of us coming in, in autumn, so we hope that you... Have a great summer and we'll join us again in the autumn. So in terms of today's episode, everything that we've covered on today's episode is available on our blog, the coffeewiththequeen.com um, and on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. We have links to articles on both. Um, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and by subscribing. If you have any topics you'd like discussed, please email them to us at info at thequeenbean.com. And if you'd like to learn more about our coffees, including our new <laughs> very American pie, please visit our website, thequeenbean.com. So thank you and wishing you all a wonderful summer.
Have a great summer, guys. We'll see you in the fall.